I'm so glad you are here. Open your Bible to Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to look at the first 17 verses. And I hope that you had a wonderful last few days. Thanksgiving is such a fun time of the year. And one of the things that our family did, we went around the table and we shared what we were thankful for. But also, my girls led us in a time in which we played a little game. And one of the questions that we all had to guess at the answer to was, and this comes straight from the internet, so we know that it's true. How many calories do you think the average American consumes on Thanksgiving Day? And you might have a number of different guesses, but you know what the answer is? According to the internet, so it's got to be true. 4,500. Can you imagine that? 4,500 calories in one day. And I hope, I can tell you consume that because we all look like we do. I'm just kidding. But but I hope you had a great day that day. I hope you enjoyed some time with those that you loved. I, I, I hope that you did. I, we played a lot of ping pong last few days at Allie's family's house. And ping pong scores at Thanksgiving are usually about the same because my eight-year-old Hannah always beats her dad. And the other girls come awful close. The score is always 20 to 21 or something like that. And uh, they say, you took it easy. I did not, but the scores are always the same. But we had a really good time, and we played some ping pong. We had lots of time together. We went on a turkey trot, and uh, that's a great day in which you get out and you try to run off some of those 4,500 calories. We had a great time doing that on Friday, and then we came back, and we're glad that we're here together, and I hope you had a great time too. And now it's the time that we get to celebrate Advent. Uh, several months ago, I went and I spent a few days praying about my preaching schedule, and I wanted to focus our time right before Christmas on this theme of Emmanuel that you find from Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9, this picture of God being with us that is then carried through in the Gospel of Matthew as we read this morning. And we're going to be looking at, for the next couple of weeks, the study of Emmanuel, and I hope that you'll just come ready to receive from that. The joy of knowing that God is with us. I hope this season of Advent will be a time that you don't just think about Jesus' first coming, but just as we sang about the glorious day, Advent is his second coming also. And Pastor Adam has prepared devotions for us every day in this season. He's going to share about that at the end of the service, about how you can access those and use this time to really attune your heart to the Lord. It's just going to be a great time for us to be together. Lots of opportunities to worship with each other in this Advent season. But of all the good stuff that you can do during Advent, the thing that I also want you to think about is this is also the time for raking leaves, isn't it? And some of you, I already know, are a much better leaf raker than I am because you probably rake, rake leaves like my friend Jeff Hodges does, and that every single weekend he takes an account of the leaves that have fallen on his yard, and he goes through every weekend, and because he loves his wife so much, he picks those leaves up. He rakes them so that they don't stay on the ground too long. Well, that's the way that the Jeff Hodges, good-looking Jeff, does it. That's not the way this Jeff does it, because I don't see the point in it. I wait till all the leaves have fallen before I mess with that. I have way too many times been proud of myself on a Friday night for raking the leaves only to come back Saturday morning after a big gust of wind has come through and learned that all my work has been undone. So I'm not going to spend my time with that silliness. I'm going to wait for all those leaves to finally fall in order to get around to doing the job of thinking about raking them up. 
And uh, that's the way that I handle it every single year. And it, just pray for Allie, okay? But when you think about what I just described, and you think about raking your own leaves, the next time you think about raking them, I also want you to think about our text this morning in Isaiah chapter 7. And when you come to Isaiah chapter 7, the contrast between what you find in Isaiah chapter 6 and then Isaiah chapter 7 can't be any more different than the contrast of day and night. In chapter 6, when Isaiah has a vision of the Lord in heaven, Raymond C. Ortland Jr. comments that God does a work in Isaiah's life and in the prophet's life, that before Isaiah 6, he is a prophet of a, divine heart, of a divided heart, but then by the end of chapter 6, when he has a vision of the glory of God, that divided heart becomes a united heart. When you read chapter 6 and you read of what has happened to Isaiah, you read of the way that his faith so consumes everything about his life as he is caught up in the consuming picture and view of God's glory, that his life joyfully becomes a blank check in the hands of God to use however God determines. So this chapter showcases the way that every one of us needs to look at life, and it's the way of hope for the future, no matter how dark our future might look. Because when we have truly looked upon the incredible glory of God, when our Savior asks of us, who then shall I send to fulfill my purposes on this earth? We immediately answer along with Isaiah, here am I, send me. But after the warming light of Isaiah 6, hits our souls, the hallowing, wintry wind of chapter 7 makes us long for the warmth of a campfire. About five years after Isaiah sees this vision from the Lord, political forces around Judah have grown threatening. Judah's youthful and wicked king Ahaz, who will be a key, a key figure in our chapter this morning, is facing mounting pressure from the two kingdoms that are to his north. Rezin, who is the king of Syria, and Pekah, who is the king of Israel, are terrified of the growing power of the violent Assyrians, which are becoming a powerhouse, and they are threatening to overtake every kingdom that happens to be in their path. So to protect themselves, Rezin and Pekah devised a scheme to go against the violent Assyrians by mounting together an alliance. And they approach the king of Judah, King Ahaz, and force him into compliance. So these enemies that are around the king are real. And while he considers what is to the north of him, the threat of Assyria is even more terrifying. So the same threat that Assyria poses to Syria and to Israel, that same threat is also being faced by Judah and their king Ahaz. And the threat of Assyria, I would argue, is even worse. So in this situation of this political mess, you find King Ahaz in his predicament. If he joins with Syria and Israel, Assyria will be his enemy. If he joins with Assyria, 
His enemies, his, his people from the north will become his enemies and will mount a preemptive attack. So Judah finds itself in a no-win situation. And the king, as he's leading his way through here, it tells us in verses 2 and 3 that just like the leaves fall in this season that we're in, the heart of Ahaz's people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And we may not know what it feels like to have our hearts shaken by the threat of warring kings around us, but fearful hearts that rustle like leaves being shaken in the wind, church, that is something that doesn't take a lot of our imagination to understand. Now there are reports of a new variant that's coming out of the country of Botswana that is more horrific than any of the COVID variants that have already come. And even if we're in the headspace that concludes that Isaiah 7 is a more accurate description of where we are as we feel our hearts wrestling is in the wind rather than what we find in Isaiah 6, in Isaiah 7, when we come to the first mention of Emmanuel, which is God with us, if we will receive what God has for us this morning, it will set the restlessness of our hearts at ease. Read it with me in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. And when the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, and the heart of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jeshub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands as the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramaliah has devised evil against you saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. And if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. 
For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the days that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Here's what I want you to think about. We think about these seven verses as we come to this first mention of Emmanuel. It's this. When life shakes us like a leaf, Christmas leads us into the arms of Emmanuel. Now, when you think about the comfort that we all need, found safely and securely in the arms of Emmanuel, a comfort that none of us deserve, but through God's grace, he just lavishes us with that comfort. If you want to experience that this Christmas, I want you to understand the application of these first nine verses, and this is what I want you to consider. You need to begin by fearing the right thing. The circumstances of King Ahaz and what he faced are real, and they are mounting. Ahaz is never going to be known as being a good king. History will always remember him as being a wicked king because he worshipped in the ways of all the surrounding nations, the very ones who were pushed out in the days of Joshua and the conquest of Canaan. He worshipped in the same way as those wicked nations worshipped, as he adopted all of their practices, all of these people who did not know the Lord. But even though God could have left Ahaz in the misery of his own making, in God's grace, he loved the king and gave the king a lifeline. And speaking as God's instrument, Isaiah told him what he needs to do. He says you need to be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear, and do not let your heart become discouraged. The prophet said that the kingdoms of the north are only smoldering stumps. Don't you read that in your Bible, and aren't you thankful for it? Smoldering stumps, and like embers in a campfire, these smoldering stumps are contained. Though they are hot to the touch, and though they could singe you if you touched them, they are contained and they pose no real threat when they are left alone to harmlessly cool. So verse 8 tells us that within 65 years, God promises that the northern kingdom of Israel was going to fall. In verse 9, God also gives Ahaz hope. He promises that Ahaz's kingdom of Judah still has an opportunity to repent, to repent and to trust in the Lord but that the time of that repentance is at hand and that there is no unstable middle ground that is acceptable. Whenever you find your heart is shaken by the wind to try to live in the middle, in this place of paralysis, this is often the temptation, but it is the worst mistake that can be made. So Isaiah gives a word from the Lord and says, you will either trust God and be firm in the faith or you will not be firm at all. So when you read this text, the message for us is crystal clear. Just as was true for King Ahaz, the time to stand firm for us is now. And there is only one person who merits our trust if we're going to face the darkness of these days with confidence. True faith, church, is not the ability 
to merely survive and choose the least destructive option when faced with two seemingly hopeless choices. Instead, that's not the way God operates. True faith means, as Pastor Adam has said and quoted, as he heard it from another preacher, and I'll use that and give it to you today, true faith means that we are a people of a third option who joyfully and enthusiastically trust Jesus no matter how difficult the situation around us rages. So we cannot hover in a no-man's land between instability and unbelief. We have to resolve ourselves to not let anything keep us from abiding in God's life-giving, hope-providing Word. So as you think about where you are this Christmas, As you consider your need to just stop and reflect and take inventory of what is true within your own heart and your own life, I just ask you in the difficulty of today just to ask the questions this Christmas. Are you fearing the right things? Because Proverbs 9 and 10, chapter 9 verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So take the time to do that this Advent season. Look into your life and take the time to ask honest questions. Are you living, fearing the right thing? Are you completely consumed with the glory of God, willing to serve Him and trust Him, no matter how dark and undetermined your future might look? You just trust that the Lord is in control. Where are you in this this situation? And if you're here and you're honest, Every time you do that kind of looking within, every time you're honest about things and ask the Lord to reveal to you what you need, what will definitely be true is that God will show you areas that you need to recalibrate in your life. And as you think about that, here's the glory of the next part of our text today. God loves us so much that he gives us time to make those changes. You don't have to worry, will there be time? There will be time. Because as we continue to read verses 10 and following, you can then look to the Lord and be transformed by the depth of God's patience. A study of God's dealing with King Ahaz is really a study of the vastness of God's grace. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says that God is so patient with us that His desire is that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And you see this opportunity to come to repentance on full display as God is lavishing his patience on that wicked old king or young king Ahaz. Nothing of what his life shows us means that he deserved God's favor, which means that there's more to us that we have in common than Ahaz and we might even want to admit. The same thing is true of us. But when you see God's patience here, What you see is a man who lived not for the Lord, but in many ways against him. It tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 28 and then on into 2 Kings chapter 16 that Ahaz was a man who condoned the worship of false gods. He knew all along the way that God found what he was doing detestable, and yet he still condoned it, and even more, he participated in it. In fact, he did it so deeply, that he participated in a way that is just detestable to us. 
Because just as was true of the nations around them, is they would often sacrifice their own children as burnt offerings before their false gods. We learn in 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 3, and in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 3, that King Ahaz did the same thing. He, he sacrificed one of his own children. When you think about this, now do you understand why God brought his judgment so severely in the conquest of Canaan? They were doing these awful things along the way. And this is what happens when you stray from the Lord and you fall outside of his, of his reign and of his rule. And Ahaz was so messed up that he even accommodated an altar to the Lord to satisfy the request, not of what God wanted from him, but the request of the monstrous king of Assyria. He changed the altar so that this Assyrian king could have his way. And even having done all these awful things, God still came to him. The text says in verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Why would he do it again? It's because he loves Ahaz and shows him that grace that much. And in coming to Ahaz again, he shows him the path of restoration. You see what he says in verse 10? Ask a sign of the Lord your God. And of this sign, you can ask anything. And here are your parameters. You can ask anything from the depths of hell to the heights of heaven, and I will give you that sign to show you that I am powerful, says the Lord, that I am real, that I will act on your behalf. What an offer. But then when Ahaz gets that offer from God straight from the mouth of his prophet, Ahaz rejects God's offer. And he masks this rejection in reverential language. He says in verse 12, quoting from a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, I will not ask, how can I put the Lord to the test? But don't be fooled at all by this man's false humility. God is the one who offered to give him a sign. And in rejecting the sign... Ahaz is ultimately rejecting God. Why does he do that? It's because Ahaz has no interest in trusting in the Lord. And even though God had already provided a way for him, Ahaz had already purposed in his heart to do things his own way. And God's response to Ahaz's stubbornness leads us to yet another application this Christmas. God is so patient, but listen, church, even in God's amazing patience, there comes a time that that patience comes to an end. So you've got to accept the warning of this passage that your opportunity to follow the Lord and trust Him can pass. After the rejection of the Lord, God still speaks to Ahaz, you have wearied men, but are you weary, but must you weary me too, Ahaz asked the Lord. Since he rejected God's offer of a sign, what we read next is that God gives him a sign instead. It says in verse 14, the Lord will give you a sign. And have you ever read these words before? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
a child is going to come. And that child will be a sign of hope to the godly people that King Ahaz has willfully chosen to abandon. Ahaz could have been a vessel that could have been part of God's solution to the dilemma. Ahaz could have been one who was used to bring God's glory forward. But since he refused to submit to the Lord, God has chosen to use another. And as we read of what comes next from Ahaz in the context of the full message of the Bible, Ahaz could not have chosen a worse decision. Scripture records that the king's instability led to the preemptive invasions of these two kingdoms from the north. Syria captures several of Judah's cities. And Israel gets the credit for killing 120,000 of Judah's valiant men on the battlefield. In fact, 200,000 of Judah's men or women and children and relatives, as the Bible says, were taken captive by Israel. And then as for Assyria, that growing, violent people that were taking over everything that was in their path and killing whatever was in their wake, Though Ahaz trusted that Assyria and their godless king would be his savior, verse 17 prophesies that this monstrous kingdom will be the instrument God would later use to bring severe judgment against his own people. So Ahaz is soon to serve at the pleasure of this wicked Assyrian king that's much more wicked than even he. And because of this Assyrian king's demands, Ahaz becomes a puppet that closes the doors of Jerusalem's temple and rather instead sets up altars for the worship of false gods in the holy streets of God's city. This is a flat-out abomination. And what a text this is for us. How true is it that as you study your Bible that God often uses, especially in the Old Testament, political and military events to teach spiritual language, spiritual lessons to His children. Later in Isaiah, you read in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5, that God's preeminence over all the nations of the world, Isaiah says the nations are like a drop in a bucket compared to the Lord. And on the scales of human history, in comparison to that drop, God is a million-pound bucket. And history always goes however it is that the Lord decrees for history to go. So never forget, as we look at this first lesson, this first revelation of Emmanuel, never forget to consider the lesson that we learn from Ahaz's mistakes. And here they are. The fear of death will always lead you into it. And if you reject Emmanuel, and you choose instead to go for something of your own making, you put your life in the hands of a monster. And if you choose not to make the mistake of Ahab, and you want to go a different direction, we need to remember the words of Scripture that tells us that every time it is perfect love that casts out our fear.
and keeps us from making these mistakes. So God with us in the Old Testament would have meant Judah's protection. But later, it was going to mean so much more. You remember what Charles read? The New Testament mention of this prophecy that is first recorded in Isaiah chapter 7. And it's in the context of Joseph. Because in a lot of ways, if you haven't picked up on it, Joseph faced the same test as did Ahaz. Mary, his betrothed, was found to be with child. And Joseph didn't want to shame her, so he decided to divorce her quietly. That was his own plan. Just like Ahaz decided to throw his future into the hands of a monstrous king of Assyria, Joseph had a solution. I don't think my wife has been faithful to me. Though I loved her, she didn't love me back. So I don't want to embarrass her, but I can't handle this. I'm going to divorce her quietly, and we'll part ways, and we'll just go our own directions. That was his plan and how to solve the problem. But then an angel came to Joseph in a dream. And just like Charles read, that angel had a word for Joseph. Just like God, hopefully, is having a word for you, if your heart is like a restless leaf that is just shaking in the wind. And it's the same essential message that the Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, gave to King Ahaz. Joseph, you need to stop and be careful. Joseph, you need to be quiet. Don't fear, Joseph. And don't grow discouraged. The baby in Mary's womb, that doesn't come from an unspeakable place. But God has done a work in the woman that will soon become your wife. God has chosen to use Mary as a conduit to bring into the world that which I have promised. The Messiah has come. Joseph, she will bear a son. And his son will be the very son of God himself. All of this has come from the Holy Spirit. And this will be Emmanuel. And this God, when he comes to us, and when he comes to be with his people, he will save his people from their sins. And his name is going to be Jesus. And this is what it means to say that Jesus is Emmanuel. So the first time in Isaiah 7, when Emmanuel was promised, he came for the people's protection. But this time is so much more, because now he's coming for the people's salvation. Isaiah 7 that I just spoke has a partial fulfillment. There was a promised child that was born, but the child that is born in Matthew chapter 1 is the fullness of what God had promised. And this child brings salvation so that we could be delivered from our sin. And when Jacob woke from his dream after seeing the word from the angel, he's faced with a decision. Am I going to do what I intended to do, or will I listen to what God has revealed to me? And when he woke from his dream, he chose a different path than that old wicked young whatever King Ahaz because he did exactly as the angel commanded. So here we have the two choices around the same mention of Emmanuel. Are you this morning going to go with King Ahaz? 
God has provided a way, but are you going to decide that you know better and go your own way? Which, can I just tell you, is at the very heart of why we preach the gospel every week. God has designed it for us to live and abide in his perfect will. But we as sinners, which is true of every person in this room, have chosen to go our own way. And every time we sin, as Ahaz sinned, it leads to utter brokenness. But in that place of brokenness, here's the answer that we have in Emmanuel. He's not just our protection, he's our salvation. And when we turn to him and we repent and we believe and we trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, this child who is born of a virgin Mary, the fulfillment of prophecy, he came and he lived a perfect life so he could become the perfect sacrifice, so he could die a death that we deserve to die so that so that so that we could then live in the resurrection and new life that only he can give. So will you go the way of Ahaz and reject this gracious, patient Jesus who has come to you, or will you follow him and repent and live your life before him as did Joseph? Are you willing to be careful and be quiet and not fear, and simply trust Him. That is what Emmanuel means. So what is it going to be? Will you accept Emmanuel, or will you reject him? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And on the occasion of Advent, gives us the chance to really think carefully and rightly about the gospel. God has designed for us to live our life in agreement with his will, under his rule and his reign. But church, every one of us have chosen to go our own way. And the only difference that distinguishes some from others is that some of us in this room have trusted in Emmanuel, have received Jesus as Savior, and everyone who's living their life outside of God's provision have chosen not to. But today it can change. God's patience is so full. His grace is so amazing. And if today you will surrender the rule of your own life, admit that you have gone your own way and it's led to a brokenness that you cannot escape, if you will confess your sin, he is faithful and just, he'll forgive you of that sin. Through the finished work of Jesus, justice has been served. The punishment that we deserve is heaped on and cast upon Christ. And through his resurrection, you can be raised to new life too. And as you repent and you trust Him in faith, He'll restore you as you pursue God's ultimate design for your life. Don't you want to live your life this way? Trusting Emmanuel, no matter how dark it can be. Aren't you tired of your heart just having a heart that just shakes in the wind? But instead, just trust the Lord for what He's got for you in the future. Oh, Father. We just want to be a people completely committed to following you. If there's anyone here today who's never received Emmanuel, may today be the day that they trust in Christ. To put our trust of our life in the hands of anyone else is to put it in a monster. Father, we just trust in you. And if there's anyone here who needs you, Father, may today be the day that they do that. For all of us here, we thank you for Emmanuel. We thank you for the fulfillment of Scripture.
Father, we want to live our lives not wrestling as leaves in the wind, but, Father, with an all-consuming passion for the glory of Jesus, saying, whatever you want for us, we're yours. Father, I pray that that will be the cry of our heart this Advent. And we thank you so much for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.